It's Thursday, April 15th, and welcome to the New York Amsterdam News Podcast. I'm Cyril Josh Barker. My guest for this episode is AmNews senior writer Herb Boyd. He's going to be speaking with me about the police killing of 20-year-old black unarmed Dante Wright and the ongoing trial of former police officer Derek Chauvin. Well, Minnesota is the epicenter for two high-profile police killing cases. 20-year-old Dante Wright was fatally shot during a traffic stop by former officer Kim Potter in Brooklyn Center, Minnesota, just outside Minneapolis. Potter says she meant to use her taser but pulled out her gun instead. She has since resigned from the force and is facing manslaughter charges. This happens as the trial for the former officer who killed George Floyd in 2020, Derek Chauvin, stands trial in Minneapolis. M. News senior writer Herb Boyd and I wrote about both of these cases this week. Herb is on the phone with me now to discuss the latest developments. Welcome to the podcast, Herb. How are you? I'm good. Yeah, we both wrote some pretty uh, 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 interesting stories this week. You know, I said at the, at the top of the show today that uh, Minnesota just seems to be the epicenter of these police killings. We got the this weekend. We just had a uh, Dante Wright shot and killed by a police officer, twenty year old black man, father, son. Uh, mm. You know everything you know going on there and then of course we have in the backdrop the trial of Derek Chauvin for the police killing of uh George Floyd so this is just such a world whirlwind going on right now I just want to say first that you know this case is just all too familiar I was having a discussion we were talking to Abba Rinde and I Amsterdam news editor and we were trying to think of a name of a police victim and I said it's a shame that I don't know I should know this and and Abba's reply was well there's too many to remember because we keep mm-hmm. seeing this over and over and over again. Let me get your thoughts on first on what you think about the trial. I got a, a late breaking update just now uh, saying that the defense in former Minneapolis in former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin's murder trial rests without putting him on the stand, uh, and so that's critical to the case. What are your thoughts about that? Well, I thought that would probably be the strategy. Uh, watching how the um the process of the interaction, even doing the obje- objections uh, by the defense during the uh, the state or the prosecution's case. And I guess they figured they made all their points there. And then bringing this, uh, this uh, forensic or this pathologist who was quite compelling in his uh, testimony, uh, mostly attributing uh, bringing some new information in in terms of carbon monoxide, Uh, being a component, to say nothing of the hypertension, his heart condition, all these other factors. In other words, he's trying to, he's a defense, he's there for the defense. So he's trying to, first of all, challenge all of these other experts that have appeared for the prosecution. And for the most part, uh, I watched all of the proceedings uh, on court TV. I did about at least I did all the morning sessions and some of the afternoon sessions uh, because they had a lot of interruptions and they have experts, you know, people, pool reporters who came in and talked about uh, particularly the jurors because you can't see the jury at all uh, on court TV or anywhere else for that matter. So you don't get the reaction that they're having to some of the testimony. But I think them uh, closing the case at this point – First of all, you know, you near the close they brought in, you know, uh, the the prosecution brought in Philonese uh, Floyd. This is George Floyd's brother. 
they brought in Shawanda Hill, who was his ex-girlfriend, mm-hmm. and then moved toward, what was it going to do with Maurice Hall, the guy who was in the car with him? Of course, he, they figured he was going to take a Fifth Amendment and, and, and not testify. So that's how they closed off their case, you know, with, uh, with a very per- personal portrait that his brother delivered, you know, about uh, George and what kind of individual he was. And that was very compelling. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the defense took the case, and right away, boom, they hit in with, first of all, we've got to challenge all these assertions and these, uh, yeah, these uh, particular opinions and evaluations put forth by the, uh, by the prosecution's witnesses. And I thought David Fowler, who was the, the representing the forensic pathologist representing the defense, did reasonably well. I mean, all of the commentators figured that he was very impressive. Uh, I think it could have been even better if he'd have had some kind of, kind of a, like maybe do a PowerPoint presentation or yeah. have some kind of illustrations to show because some of that stuff he was talking about was very, very intricate in terms of the heart and what it, how it did, how it operated, the flow of blood, you know, dealing with adrenaline and uh, you know ventricles and stuff like that. Some illustrations would have maybe drove that point home, but otherwise, bringing in the carbon monoxide and talking about the hypertension, those are very, very critical information that the jury will have to weigh. Yeah, and a lot of information is out there. We've seen the trial day by day. I've been watching watching it. You know, I'm working from home like a lot of folks and Mm -hmm. and watching this, obviously, because I want to keep up with what's going on. Uh, you know, the medical pathologist that spoke about the exhaust, I just thought that was interesting because it's like if he was there for nine minutes, if you knew that that exhaust was there, you'd think that he would uh, get up. We're seeing so many. Um, it looks like a blatant, obvious open and shut case here, but it just feels like, you know, the way that the American justice system has worked for the black community, for black America, uh, we, we might not get what we want, even though it's just right there. There's a video. The interesting thing, again, with both of these cases with both uh, Derek Shaw, with um, George Floyd and Dante Wright, both of these were on video. So there's no question. We see what happened from start to finish. Literally, from mm-hmm. start to finish, we saw what happened. Uh, videos of both of these incidents. So there's no question out there. Um, is this an open and shut case? I mean, do you think we will get what we want? I mean, again, a lot of people were so... What I feel like with the Derek Chauvin case is that a lot of mm-hmm. people felt the they saw the video and America was just such in a bad place with COVID-19 and there was this outpouring of sympathy for George Floyd. But here's the thing. A year has passed since it happened, almost a year has passed rather, since it's happened. You know, mm-hmm. tempers are calmed down. We have a new president in office. Things are a little different now. What, do you, what are your thoughts on the outcome? Because I think that's the thing also that people want to uh, look, you know, get out of this is what, what the outcome is going to be. Mm-hmm. Well, so much it depends on... Are you talking about the Derek Chauvin situation or, yes, Derek, or Derek Chauvin, Dante, Derek Chauvin. right? Derek Chauvin. No, the Derek Chauvin situation is going to play out. The cause of death is going to be critical in this case. as it, uh, They made that reference right from the beginning that, you know, did he, was his death uh, attributed to the fact that this pressure on his neck and that led to his death? So that's where the the various uh, death uh, the certificates were filed, the the coroner's report, the medical officers, some of them contending. Andrew Baker, in particular, said that you know his death that's a homicide. So, but then the defense is saying no, no, he got 
bring the drug, the implication of drugs into the situation, and now this last uh, forensic pathologist who put forth the carbon monoxide as well as hypertension, in other words, pre-existing conditions that he had. So those are going to be critical factors for the jury. You know, you got a half and half in terms of uh, six African-Americans. There are three women, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And then the other half of it, being white or mixed, they're not sure about that. But if you all you need is one or two, and it's always a uh, this question of uh, you know, hey, reasonable, you know, the intent and all those kind of things that are going to be raised. And so, some of the jury might ask for, you know, some additional reports. Sometimes the jury is so conflicted and so divided that you can have one or two individuals on there that can take a stand and disrupt the whole process, you know. So we'll see how that plays out. We've seen too many cases, you know, where police officers trying to even indict them is, is a challenge, and then trying to convict them is even more difficult And in, in terms of how, how that case is represented. So we'll see how that plays out in a very similar way with the, with Dante's Wright situation where, it's not as much evidence there because with the George Floyd thing, you you got all kind of footage coming from yeah. three or four different directions there. Absolutely. And yeah, so so it's a matter of which uh, has the most weight and uh, how you begin to argue the the uh, scientific aspects of it in terms of pressure on his neck, how big the cop was, uh, yeah. how long he was held, and that was the thing that you know Josh that was not brought out. In in the uh, I thought that the uh, prosecution would object to mm -hmm. some of what uh, forensic uh, pathologist Fowler had to say because nothing was ever said about how long like, yeah, he was, I noticed he that. was the pressure was there yeah. you know so that that's something that will probably come up at, in the closing arguments so we'll yeah. see how that plays out absolutely you were talking about uh, evidence from all angles with the Derek Chauvin situation with George Floyd. We have the video, we have witnesses, multiple angles, you know, even angles that we're now just seeing that, that are being shown in this case during the trial. And so you're right, we have a, it's like just a pouring of, of, of various angles and evidence that we're seeing from that case. But, uh, I want to shift now to Dante Wright. I actually wrote about that story this week. And of course, the latest is that, uh, former, former police officer Kim Porter, she resigned, uh, and she is facing second degree manslaughter charges and is looking at 10 years in prison. Uh, I'm seeing all over the internet. I just want to say that I just don't understand how you can decipher, not know the difference between a gun and a taser. Uh, they both look different. They, you, you, officers know which side. I spoke, I spoke to, who did I speak to this week? Um, I spoke to somebody this week. I can't remember who it was. And, um, they were telling me about how, you know, it's, it's very hard to not know the difference or not know where you're pulling from. And so that excuse of, I didn't know that I had my, you know, and we hear her say taser, taser, taser. So it's no question that that's what she meant to, to pull out there, but she pulled out the gun. So it just, it just really just, um, the intention is just all there. You know, you just, the intention alone, uh, is there in that case. Um, uh, what do you, what do you think we're going to see here? I'll say this. I'm, I'm actually surprised. I'm, I'm, you know, we got a, uh, we got a, we got a, um, a charge, a manslaughter, second degree manslaughter. She's mm -hmm. facing 10 years, but, you know, what, what do you think is going to go on here? What do you think about this case? Well, one of the things about you know uh, how fast they uh, they put the uh, video out there because remember with the George Floyd situation, it took a while before we begin to see that video. This one was done almost immediately, and uh, Tim Gannon, who's the chief who resigned, and 
course, uh, Kim Potter, the woman who shot uh, Dante, she she resigned. And even the city manager there, he resigned. Uh, I don't know if they fired him or he resigned. Yeah, I heard no something. Yeah, in. I heard he's not there. I heard they probably, I think they fired him. I'm not sure, but I'll, we should, yeah, yeah. we'll check on that. <laughs> yeah, so so it's a lot of, like, uh, administrative shakeups that are going on there. And, of course, it's hard to not see the connection because you're talking about the proximity uh, what, 10, 15 miles away for where George yeah. uh, Floyd's situation in Minneapolis and then in the Brooklyn Center in, in the suburbs out there. So so you've got a, a, the territorial uh, similarity. You've got the incident, of course, with George Floyd is clearly, you can see the pressure there. Now we can talk about an accident. I mean, good gracious. And we've had similar cases like that. If you look back, you know, it's at least so, I recall, even in Tulsa, Oklahoma, remember they had the one out there. Yeah, absolutely. With Robert Bates and Eric Harris, who was killed, and it was a mistaken situation in terms of taser. Say nothing of Oscar Grant out in Oak in California. Same kind of situation where how are you going to mistake a taser for the gun? And, and the case that they had in, uh, I think it was in Rochester, Minnesota, a similar case where the cop mistook his taser for the gun because they changed. Remember, the taser used to be a little device. Yeah, I remember. It wasn't shaped like a gun at all, and then they changed that. And I thought that was just a terrible move to make, you know, because they have enough problem there under pressure and how they react in terms of their training and everything. And oddly enough, Kim Potter, the woman involved here, was in the training process. I mean, how are you going to have a trainer who is not has not the qualifications or the disposition to really instruct anybody how to do anything end up being the uh, the assassin, the assaulter here? So that's another irony of the whole situation. But I think that what's going to happen with this case is that you have the similar kind of situation in terms of I remember one before the uh, the situation in Rochester. The officer uh, brought uh, imposed the whole qualified immunity, which is kind of ironic in yeah. the sense that what we've been doing on qualified immunity, and mm-hmm. that was one of the protective measures brought by the officer Gregory Seam, who who, who shot the individual in uh, Rochester. But the uh, judge kicked that out. Said, no, 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 you can't. You uh, the difference between the taser. And and your weapon is so absolutely different. I it's don't very see how different, the, very different. They the feel different. They look different. The colors different. They're on different everything. sides. And the fact that she was uh, a training officer is even more disturbing. Twenty six years mm-hmm. on the force. So this was not. I mean, it doesn't really matter how much experience she had, whether she was a rookie or she's twenty six years. It's the, but the twenty six years and the fact that she trained other officers and was training one at the time of the killing. Is just something. it's something. It's just it's unbelievable. Mm. So I, mm. you know, the intention is there. Uh, you know, and and we we often talk about and you know, Imhotep, Gary Bird, and I, we do the show on the weekends. You're on there a lot of times with us, um, and we talk a lot. We've talked over the years about mm. underlying racial you know motives and how that works and how a lot of these officers need to go through a racial test. And this is kind of a might, might be an example of that here. You know, meant to pull mm-hmm. out my taser, but pulled out my gun. Uh, mm. why is your mind going there? It's very interesting. Just wanted to clarify that that city manager was fired. That was, uh, that was, uh, okay. Kurt, yeah, that city manager, let me get the name here. It was, uh, 
Kurt Bolgani. He was the city manager and he was fired for some statements that he said uh, about the uh, about, quote, the, the city employee will receive due process. And that's all he could say. So I just wanted to Here's clarify the black that. man. Yeah. Right. I, was, I uh, was him on the air. That. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I do want to talk. I do want you to talk about briefly you, you and Damaso Reyes, who's one of our uh, other freelance writers that's working with us mm-hmm. at the Amsterdam News, have been doing a series. In fact, you, I think it's it's ended. Correct. It's three parts uh, about yes. mm-hmm. about qualified immunity. I know it's been a lot of it's been a lot of buzz that we've been talking about at the Amsterdam News among the staff. Uh, it's a very detailed, long stories that you guys have been doing. Uh, tell us about mm-hmm. qualified immunity, what that is and what you guys are talking about. Well, we kind of uh, brought it to a close. I'm not sure. I haven't uh, seen today's paper. I don't it's, think it's it was there, published. Yeah. It was published. It's, there? it's also online, yeah. Oh, okay. I'll yeah, have to there. check it out. What kind of illustration did they have, Josh? I know that, I know have... that the uh, in the one for today, for this week, rather, we uh, there was a chart that was sent to us uh, that I had posted with the story. But if there's a change, we'll definitely change it. But, um, yeah, that just, but, I... yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I had requested that they use a kind of uh, the image of a of an officer behind a shield that's mm-hmm. been fractured. Oh, okay. And cracked. You know, I thought that would be an image that we could use for part three. Yeah. But you know, whether here that's not here or there, what I <laughs> what we were trying to do is explain the history of it, and uh, we needed three parts. Originally, we thought maybe four parts, but then we say we could probably wrap this up in three parts, depending on how long each of the uh, installments uh, were. And we figured coming in 2,500, 3,000 words was just about could do the job for us. And so we went back historically, and a lot of stuff that's happening, we just talk about this whole situation with, you know, the mistaking uh, gun for a taser and how that qualified immunity came into play with the case mm-hmm. back in 2002. So it's something that's been out there for a while, but in fact, it goes all the way back because it morphed from out of a Civil Rights uh, Act of 1871, Josh. Mm. It go all the way back when it was first put in place where, you know, the, the it was mostly uh, protected against people who had been assaulted by the Ku Klux Klan. Right, right. And and the charges could be brought against them. And then over the years, you see it got, went through the corporate thing and people using it as a shield. And finally, the police officers grabbed onto it in terms of defending themselves against uh, liability. And in other words, any kind of brutal, brutality against an individual that was a violation of their constitutional rights, they had, uh, they, they had uh, a reason to bring a lawsuit and sue these officers. And the officers, of course, like, oh, bring up their qualified immunity. It was justified. We was following policies and procedures. And, you know, in terms of probable cause, all those kind of things are brought into play. The Fourth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, all these different kind of issues that play over the years in terms of qualified immunity. So what we did was kind of weigh both sides of it. And and end up with where we bring in experts and everything, and we've interviewed quite a few people out there who've been doing extensive research on qualified immunity for years, mm-hmm. including Joanna Schwartz, you know, out of California, Amir Ali with the ACLU. We brought all these different voices in, and in fact, we're planning to do a show uh, on Monday. We'll be talking. To yeah, you're doing a live Monday. event. Yeah. 
Yeah, we'll be talking with them uh, about some of the uh, findings and and the prospects. What do we see uh, down the road on this whole issue? Because now you have, what, three states who have made very, very definitive moves to remove qualified immunity as a shield for these police officers who violate uh, citizens' uh, constitutional rights, Mm -hmm. Uh, Connecticut, Colorado, New Mexico, and right here in New York City. We focused on New York City, you know, how Corey Johnson, the speaker there, led that whole push to Mm -hmm. make sure the cops can use that as a shield. So that's essentially what we're doing there with that, uh, with these three parts and I'll take I'll take a look at the third part and see exactly <laughs> how they vetted that one. <laughs> yeah. Just want to give some some late developments about the Dante Wright case. The family okay. is saying now that the uh, arresting of the cop and the charging of the cop uh, is a good first step, a good initial step. And we're getting information from the P- Brian Peters, who is the executive director of the Minnesota Police and Peace Officers Association, who said that uh, Dante Wright's death wouldn't have happened uh the death he's blaming the death on non-compliance and we hear that a lot i hear that all the time mm-hmm. from people and even mm-hmm. a few people that i've spoken to said well if he hadn't done this if he hadn't done that if he hadn't whatever whatever he wouldn't have um been shot and killed well okay whatever but at the same time mm-hmm. this officer made an alleged mistake but deadly force there's no you know that's not a death sentence to me you know people say that all the time non-compliance we hear that all the time they don't do what they're told do what you're told do what you're told for some reason we always have to do what we're told black people when it comes to the police but i there's numerous videos of situations that we see out there where white folks mm-hmm. are not doing what they're told but it's a whole different story but when it's us it's there's two sets of rules and that's the thing that we always have that comes up is that there's a set of rules for white america and a set of rules for black america and that's kind of what happened here um we're also seeing the uh, the uprising that's happening. I'm sure you've seen that over the last mm-hmm. several days uh, in Minnesota. Again, uh, with this, I think this is the fourth day where they've had uprisings and situations happening uh, in in Minnesota when it comes to police shooting. I, here's the thing: I never realized Minnesota was like this, but you know, we're seeing two cases. I mean, two cases not far from each other. And then, did you know this? I was told yesterday by by our staff, by my coworker. Uh, staff writer uh, uh, Stefan Johnson that George Floyd's girlfriend or ex-girlfriend was the teacher was a teacher to Dante Wright so even that connection alone these two brothers are connected same state mm-hmm. knew some of this I mean just even through that alone we're seeing a connection there but um, and we're also and seeing also, Josh, go ahead, there's yeah. a connection there's a connection also in terms of what precipitated the encounter because in both cases, it may be a situation where the victims were unaware of certain kind of things. For example, George Floyd, was he aware that that the $20 bill was counterfeit? Right. Okay, because right. that brought the cops into his life. You know, did Dante Wright, was he aware that he had a court date, a warrant for right. his arrest? right. Because, you know, his uh, the the public defender stepped up and said he hadn't been notified that he had a court date. Right, right. But I think something has to be said about traffic stops. Yeah, we've and, been dealing with that driving while black. Exactly, absolutely. We've been dealing yeah. with that for 
for decades, oh, for years. Oh, my goodness. Since, Sandra since, Bland. Remember right, Sandra since, Bland? Since the what car was invented, black people have been, we've been dealing with this driving while black situation where yes. uh, we get pulled over and the outcome is always something much higher than it needs to be. And so, you know, they're always running our numbers to see, you know, what's going on with us. And, and, and if they find a warrant, fine. If they don't, whatever. But at the same time, none of that, because I keep hearing that over and over again, noncompliance, noncompliance. Mm-hmm. He didn't do what he was told. Just like the situation in uh, Virginia with that police officer, who, by the way, we do uh, have a story about that on our front page this week. You can check out that story on AmstramNews.com. Had to throw oh, that yes. in there because it was a pretty big story. But again, three situations, two situations rather, where a vehicle stop was involved. And there, and the outcome was not good. And in the worst outcome happening to Dante Wright, where he was killed. And so again, we're, we keep revisiting this over and over again. Driving while black, driving while black happens over and over again. And then Josh talking about it was a mistake. You know that you check out our editorial this week in the paper. Right, you got you did write an editorial about. Oh yes, yeah, go ahead. in terms yes. of talking about Absolutely. these mistakes that are made by police officers. You know, we look at Amadou Diallo. They thought it was a mistake. They thought he was reaching for his gun. He was reaching for his wallet. You know, the Tamir Rice. He had a toy gun. You dig it? So we can go on and on with, with the Oscar Grant situation. You know, people who are cops misunderstand. In other words, their thing is to shoot first and ask questions later. Exactly. And that is just absolutely devastating when it comes to African-American, but young black men out there. And of course, you know, people say, well, if they'd had complied, if they'd have gone along with, you know, the commands and demands of these police officers, they may be alive, but there's no guarantee, even in police custody, (laughs) that you're going to survive. And that's what uh, Carol Taylor did in her book, her little black book, in terms of young men's survival in this society and going along with it. There's no guarantee. Sandra Bland is a very good illustration that mm. even in police custody, you could end up dead, although the circumstances around her death remain kind of, uh, it's not, it's so very opaque. We're not clear uh, yeah, about no, it. Yeah, we still don't mm-hmm. know. We still have many questions. But Was to it me, suicide or what? Right, you know? right. But we, we, it just always, Hawksback, you were saying, again, the noncompliance, and, but we're always dealt with so aggressively because we're, the stereotypes are out there. These white officers have these stereotypes about black men uh whenever there's a situation traffic stop i mean i'm thinking about another it's been so many there was another traffic stop where a black man was killed in new jersey in that traffic stop and so that was last year uh where a black Mm -hmm. man was shot there but we're always seen as the aggressor it's this underlying racism i mean here's the thing again i I go back to the gun and the taser i mean you you know what side the tasers are on you know what side the gun is on uh, mm-hmm. Why would you say say you said the word taser? You meant to pull it out, but you pulled out the gun. There's a disconnect there. There's something wrong there. And again, black men and women as well are seen as just overly aggressive by these white police officers who come into our communities, into our neighborhoods, or even when we're not, you know, according to some folks, we're not we're supposed to, we're not uh, where we need to be, <laughs> but we're always mm-hmm. seen as the aggressor. And I think that that is the underlying issue here. That a lot of these officers have this underlying racism, which allows mm-hmm. them to mistake tasers for guns. I'm just that's just what I think. <laughs> okay, well, sometimes come in there with malice aforethought. 
And that's amazing that they don't do a, a bit more winnowing out individuals who who have this potential racist uh, reaction. This and the systemic racism is so deep inside of them. The white supremacist uh, right, reactions right. are so deep they can weed them out before they put a uniform and give them a gun. Yeah. Because then they're absolutely lethal in their approach to young black men out there who they see as like less than human right and so you know you that's one of the pre what you call underlying and suspicious right pre absolutely conditions. yeah no doubt about it josh yeah and and they just you know they see us as subhuman sub people and again they just see us as the aggressor and that's why we always say black lives matter so gotta always black say lives matter. <laughs> gotta right. keep pushing that absolutely absolutely well listen what, what, well, okay thank you josh thank you, you know, so much for coming understand. on okay baby bye-bye all right bye that concludes this week's podcast. You can pick up the latest edition of the New York Amsterdam News on newsstands and get updates online at AmsterdamNews.com. You can also keep up with us on Facebook at NY Amsterdam News and follow us on Twitter at NY Am News. I'm Cyril Josh Barker. Thanks for listening. <laughs>